Hey, I'm Liza. And I'm Riss. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, step right up to the listening event of the week. It's your friends, Liza and Riss. Hi guys, this is Future Riss. Um, just letting you know that our intro did not record, and so we talked a little bit about what this episode is, and all that fun stuff that we usually do in the beginning, sprinkled in some lit news, and for whatever reason didn't record, and that's okay. So I'm just here to let you know that this is a previously recorded little introduction, and this episode is our Native American Heritage Month celebration episode, Uh, and I hope that you enjoy it, and here is the rest of the show jumping right into our books. I read um, Night of the Living Res by Morgan Talty, who is a Penobscot writer. It's a collection of short stories. And I read, um, so I I technically, I read one book, but it was originally two books. um, One called The Skeleton Man, released in 2001. And then the second called The Return of the Skeleton Man, which I think came out in 2006. Let's see. Yeah, I think it was released in 2006. Um, But more recently, they put the two books together into a two-book collection called The Legend of the Skeleton Man. Um, And it's by Joseph. And I remember I could not, I did not know how to say his name last time. But I actually found this cool thing that I think all authors should have of him saying his name. Oh, nice. So it's Joseph Bruchek. I'm so excited. I love indigenous authors. My book was really good. Mine was really good too. I have lots of like thoughts about it that are interesting. My book is from this year, by the way, people. It's new. So go buy it. We'll get into that later though. Today. So yeah, like I said, I read The Skeleton Man and... um. So Mr. Joseph is an Abnaki Native American, um, which, according to the Wikipedia, they were um, indigenous peoples of the northeastern woodlands of Canada and the U.S. He grew up in the Saratoga Springs area of New York, which is close to both Liza and I. And the skeleton man takes place it doesn't say exactly well it doesn't say exactly where the first book takes place but these but it's they're relatively close I'm assuming 
so they take place in, let's say, the central New York area. Yeah, and there was another note that I had about... Right, so as I was telling Liza earlier, he's published... Mr. Joseph has published more than 120 books, um, and most of them are kind of about... Abnaki identity and storytelling and tradition and um, if they're not directly about that then they're fictional but they have to do with that but if you look up any pictures of this guy he just has like the best smile he looks like such a friendly man who you would just want to go and like I don't know chill with for a little bit Um, he just seems so wonderful and going into the skeleton man you know, he opens this book talking about um, why he would want to write a scary story, especially a scary story that's really in a 9 to 11 reading range. Um, and he talks about how it's not about wanting to scare anyone and how Native American heritage Um, And tradition has a bunch of uh, legends and stories that are scary. And the monster, he has a quote in his book that says, like, the monster is always big and powerful, but also really stupid. And, you know, it's not about being scary. It's not about being big and powerful. It's about learning a lesson and teaching you to be courageous in the face of things that are scary um and I just thought that that was such a wonderful thing to have in the beginning um especially in a a scary story for kids so I really loved that I thought that it was so nice the main character in this set of stories is a little girl and I thought that he embodied her so respectfully and so wonderfully and I don't know. I think that there's a huge conversation that we can have on writers um, writing across their gender. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it really, really doesn't. But in this case, he did marvelous and he didn't make her feel like a child. Like, I think any child who read this book wouldn't feel like, like she was somehow lesser than because she was a child it's not like that at all um so for readability and interest I give this book an eight it's short it's quick it's fast I genuinely was like interested in what would happen next um I I wanted to know (laughs) I wanted to know what happened next but also it was like you know you have the, the scary story that's happening with the skeleton man, but you also just have the story of the life of this little girl. And I was, in, I liked her and I wanted to like know about her and I was concerned about her. So um, yeah, so I gave it an eight for readability. I really liked it. Um, I read it. it. I mean, like I didn't read it in like a day. It wasn't that kind of children's book. I, I'm trying to remember, let me find out really quick how many pages it was. Um, but I'll keep talking while I look that up. It didn't, I didn't read it in just a day. It took me a few days to read it. And that's not because I wasn't reading it. I was. Um, I just simply, I don't know. I felt no need to like 
rush through the book. Um, there wasn't small font or anything. It was perfect size font because we all know I hate that. It was really, it was just wonderful. I just um, was really taking my time with it and just really got immersed in it. So yeah, it's 288 pages. So by no means is it like a short book. This is a decent sized children's book. Like I said, it's technically two books in one. And it's $7.99. So I mean, you're getting a, a good book for like a good price. And I would say like, don't let the fact that it is a child's book steer you away from it in any way. Because it was still an interesting story. And I feel like I feel like the point of this book was to learn something from it and to take something away from it besides just a good story. And I feel like I did that. So mission accomplished. For language and style, I also gave this, um, or I gave it a seven. So there wasn't really anything like lyrical or creative happening with the language. Um, but I think I rated it this high because of the way he embodied um, Molly, I thought he did such a good job with that. And then also, there's a clear connection to Molly and her environment in both books, even though, I mean, in the first one, she's a little bit taken out of her environment, but she still lives in the place that she's grown up in. But then in the second book, you know, she's in a completely new place and just like her willingness to be out places and explore um, was just lovely. Um, and I would also say there's almost like a real gratitude in this book for place and you can feel it not only through the characters but just in the way that it seems as though nature or her environment is so willing to like help her and I just really enjoyed that it makes me I don't know feel less lonely I suppose for form I omitted it there's nothing crazy happening here with form just the fact that it's two books and one is it shelf worthy and would I read it again I probably I don't think personally that I would read it again but I am going to keep it on my shelf unless I like really find a little kid who I feel like I would need to give it to but otherwise I would buy it for them probably um I really think that this is a book that you should buy and support um Joseph he is I believe that he's 80 now and he just seems like the greatest man I really think that we should look into his books and buy some even if this one isn't the one that would um you know pique your interest but yeah I'm gonna keep this one I think it's good on the shelf um I don't think that it's a book that I would read again like I said but I do think that I might go back and read a couple passages of it from time to time because there are certain things that I'm like still thinking about um that I found super lovely especially like his intro was so wonderful um so yeah for plot I gave it an eight for both stories I thought the plot was just so good um and every time I thought I knew what was happening like I knew what was happening but every time I 
thought that the story was going to go to the left, it veered to the right. Um, and even the parts that I could predict, I thought that they were super interesting and they were they were enough to you know I didn't get bored with it I was still reading even though I was like oh this is what's gonna happen next I was like oh okay but the way that it played out was so good um the idea of the skeleton man is really creepy um and Molly tells the story of the skeleton man in both books and it's pretty much like there was a, a lazy uncle and he's waiting for um, all of his his like family would go out and hunt and he would wait. And one day they were taking so long and he was so hungry and he accidentally burned his finger and he stuck it in his mouth. And then he started to eat it because it tasted good. And he's like, that was real good. So then he cooked his other hand and ate that and he ate himself until he was a skeleton man. And so I, I like loved that part. And I loved this retelling, especially from a child's point of view. Um, I loved, yeah, I just love that. And I, I love little girl heroes. Um, I love that. And so Molly was just wonderful. So yeah, for plot, I gave it an eight. Um, also, I, I'll say to continue with that really quick, the, conclusion to this book to both books really satisfying um and I also just think there's something about both of these that made me think about how like we we get signs or like the universe really talks to us every single day and people just don't listen. Like, I think when me and my first boyfriend broke up, literally the day before we broke up, I saw a white rabbit right next to a very busy street. And I was like in the middle of having like the worst mental breakdown at the time. So I saw that and I was like, oh my God, did you see that rabbit? And he was like, no. And I was like, there was literally just a white rabbit right there and it like freaked me out and like stuck with me and he was like you're freaking crazy and I was like okay whatever and then we broke up the next day and ever since then I've thought about it and how like rabbits have been a weird kind of spirit guide for me and I've just never allowed myself to pay much attention to it like I don't know like you're a kid and you're like oh my god I saw three flowers in a row and that might mean something like I used to do that all the time when I was a kid like if the flowers are pointing in a certain direction then that's the direction that I should go and walk and look for sticks I don't know why I've just always been like that and then I think when I got older I pushed that away a lot and then like after I saw that white rabbit now it's like something that's keyed into my brain that I look for and I just think of so many times when like the universe is probably really giving us signs or like just trying to talk to us and people just don't see it and they just ignore it. And this book really had parts of it that I was like, I love how in tuned Molly and her family are to like the things that are happening around them. Um, and it really makes you feel just like reassured about those things that you think, I guess. 
Um, so yeah, and then for characterization, I gave this a seven. I feel like Molly is one is pretty much the only character that you get a really really good hold on because you spend so much time with her. Um, and there are true gaps between the other people, but I thought, you know, the descriptions of the skeleton man, especially in the first one, are so creepy and so weird. Um, and these kind of like adults in Molly's life who don't act like adults and don't treat her like a child these adults who like are are willing to be open to her and listen to her and understand her and believe her just such good characters and it's so important for kids to be you know reading something like that um I can't like I can just imagine a kid who's maybe in not such a great situation reading this book and feeling like oh maybe I can talk to someone and even if the first person doesn't listen to me or the second person there maybe there'll be a third one that'll listen to me um there's something very hopeful in this book and that's so wonderful for kids to hear and I'm happy that it's in this book and um yeah I really really I think this book would be great I think this would be great if you're a teacher pick it up for your classroom um I think this would be a great book to read with the class. Like I remember when I was in fifth grade, we 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 read um Walk Two Moons, which I know we talked about last year on our Native American uh heritage episode. But maybe like switch that book out for this book. That would be pretty cool. And I really can't think of any other book that I would have wanted to read for this episode. Like I had some in mind, but this is the one that I was so dead set on, and I think it was so worth it. So pick it up for a kid pick it up for your classroom, pick it up for yourself. I think it'll be great. And that's what I have to say about that. Thank you for reading that, Marissa. Yeah, we love it. I'm going to tell my mommy about that. Yeah, do. She should. She should she get love it. it. So nice. She loves to have books by indigenous authors. Pass that on that. Um, I guess I'll get into mine. Do it go right now right now um okay i read night of the living res by morgan talty who like i said is a penobscot native um and penobscot this takes place in what we now presently call maine um that's where penobscot people still reside there's actually a pretty large native population in maine um which is cool to see because as we know, the rest of New England um, got pretty hit hard by the colonizers. And um, I mean, the culture, I think Native American people do a really beautiful job at like keeping their culture alive as best they can, but obviously different regions were dealt a different hand. Um, So there's actually not that many like like Native American like reservations like large large ish patches of land where Native American people are residing um in New England um and so it was really cool to get to read about like a Penobscot reservation um there was also a lot of um 
indigenous language in this book, which was cool. And actually Penobscot people speak Eastern Abernaki. Um, so they, they may speak a similar language to the author who Marissa read. Um, and that is an Algonquin nation. Um, so that was just cool to experience um, myself because I am indigenous. I have close indigenous heritage and um, my people also speak an Algonquin language because they're um, Pacasset, which is part of like Wampanoag um, tribe. Um, so that was really cool to get to see that. Um, and there was like a, like, like I obviously did not grow up on a reservation. Uh, I'm not like, I am like, I claim like Pacasset heritage and my grandma's like literally native but she was not raised in the culture um did not none of us really got introduced to it until much later in life um so i did i have connections with people from my tribe um but they themselves like their our reservation like is not the kind that you reside on it's a very very tiny patch of forest that's more like a like a historical homeland um, than anything else. So like, I'm not saying I relate to Morgan Talty in that way at all. Like I would never try to claim like, oh, I know what it's like. Like I literally don't, um, but it was cool to have that like familiarity of like, this is someone whose culture was similar to, whose like heritage is similar to what people in my heritage would have in their culture, if that makes sense. So that was just really cool. And like we talked about last week, I think a little bit, is that like, there's so many native authors um, who are like, we have Cherokee and Navajo and Lakota, which is like really freaking cool, but you don't get to see that often. Um, Algonquin writers, I think. So I think it's cool that this week we had a Penobscot and an Abernaki author um, in the same go. So that is very fun. Um, but Night of the Living Res, it is a collection of short stories. And I have a lot of thoughts on like what I think is happening in the book that may be like incorrect. I'm not sure. I'm still processing and I'm still trying to figure it out. Um but for all intents and purposes, this book is a collection of short stories that are mainly told by two different narrators, David and Dee. Um, they're both boys living on a Penobscot reservation, um, and it sort of follows them through different moments in their life all of the books are, are are really honing in on these one mo these one moments like none of them are like spanning ever spanning of like years and years but when you put it all together you get a glimpse of their lives at a lot of different points in their lives um and what the reservation looks like at a lot of different points um this book was not super um i think night of the living res would leave 
lead one to believe that this was a horror. It's not, it's literary fiction, but there is a hauntingness to this book that has definitely stuck with me. Um, and there, it, it's not, I would never call this I, magical realism, but there are like, there's some like spirit energy happening. One of the main characters is a medicine man. Um, uh, but it's not whatever the title would leave if you were like, oh, it's a horror book. It's not. Um, but it is haunting and it's beautiful. Tommy Orange is the blurb on the front. Um, and he said, I literally laughed and cried. Um, and I think that's really true of this book. It's really freaking funny. And then it's really devastating. Um, and also, if anybody's like, I wonder what the vibe is. If you have not watched the show, you should. But if you have watched it, um, Reservation Dogs is one of my favorite shows that's like on right now. Um, it is about um some indigenous teens um living in what we now call um Oklahoma uh and it's so fucking funny it's one of the funniest shows to come out recently um but it's also very like it it, it shows you what it's like to live on a reservation in present day which is like such a like the fucking like colonizers and the United States has just done such a shit job at doing literally anything for native people um first of all taking away their land and then forcing them onto these reservations which is a story for a whole nother different day and residential schools and you know everything like that but just like the lack of health care and that the, there's food scarcity and there's poverty um, and there's all, all this other stuff that comes with poverty that is the fault of the U.S. government full stop like any like any like stereotypes you have about indigenous people whether it's like alcoholism or drug use or tobacco use like it's all the fault of the poverty that's caused by the US government doing horrible things to native people. Um, so reservation dogs, like no matter how funny it is and no matter how charming the um, characters in it are, it has this sort of heaviness to it because it's showing you what life on a reservation is like. And Night of the Living Res has that vibe too. So definitely if you like Reservation Dogs, read Night of the Living Res. And if you read Night of the Living Res and you like that, watch Reservation Dogs. Um, to get into my rating scale, for readability, I gave this book a 7.5. All of the stories are very short, um, which I think makes it really digestible. It took me a minute to figure out what the setup of this book was going to be, which is, I think I'm going to end up skipping form because I don't really think there's too much to talk about in that case, but I'll get to it a little bit later about kind of what I think is going on in this book. But for a while there, I thought every single story was going to be from the perspective of a different person on this reservation. Um, and so you want to keep reading it because of that. But there's something that adds to the readability of it when you when you start to realize, oh, these are by two different people. Um, these are by two different people's perspectives. He also really gets you, Morgan Talty really gets you with the first story um because it's this guy whose hair gets stuck to the snow like frozen down into the snow um and his friend has to cut it out which is also a big deal because 
you don't want to have to cut your hair if you're a native man. Um, but there's also like a funniness to it. Like his hair got stuck in the snow. Like it's such a, it, that story really captures you. Um, and that's the first story we get from D. And then the next story is David as a very young child. Um, and, and that really just sort of captures your attention as well. Um, one note I'll just say too, I know what the landscape looks like. Um, I have spent many a time, more time than I would maybe like in Maine um, proper. So I was really able to picture this book. So I also think if you're like from New England or you know Maine, um, this like book takes place on an island in Maine. So like you're going to be able to uh, really sit yourself in this um, setting, which is always fun for me. For language and style, I gave this book a seven. I thought Morgan Talty's writing was gorgeous. Um, it was very matter of fact, and I'll get into this later, I think more when I talk about characterization, but the two characters' voices were very distinct. I thought one of the most captivating parts of this book was the dialogue. I thought the dialogue was incredibly natural. Um, and just sort of like the just like there's just so many beautiful moments. So many beautiful moments um, throughout this and especially of like, like I said, like really, really gorgeous moments of scenery. There's this one story that's all about like these I guess this thing happens where like these caterpillars, I think they're caterpillars. Yeah, they're caterpillars. And they like all like, they're like an invasive species in this area. And then at some point they all like die off. And so there's this one part where the caterpillar carcasses are just coating this one stretch of road. And the character D is literally like throwing up because of the smell of these rotting, caterpillar carcasses and it's so visceral and so good like there's just so many moments like that throughout the whole thing um so that was really really cool but like I said I'm gonna skip form I'm gonna omit form because it, it really is just a short story collection very standard but when I think I, I I'm trying to figure out when I want to sort of talk about this and I think I'll talk about it when I get to plot and characterization so stay tuned um for shelf worthiness I gave this book an eight I definitely think this is a must read for everyone. I'm always going to say, when you come across an indigenous writer, read the frickin' book, buy the frickin' book. Uh, I'm definitely going to add this to my shelf and add it to my collection of indigenous writers that I hope to keep uh, growing forever and ever and ever. Would I read it again? I don't know. But because it's a short story collection, I'm always a little bit more inclined to say, yeah. Uh, I think so many of these stories, I'll, they'll pop into my head one time and I'll have to just go like read it again. Like I'm, I've, I've done that before with short story collections, all, almost all my short story collections, I feel like I end up going back to. Uh, so if you're like that too, that, that's another reason to get this book. Four, plot. I gave this book a 7.5. I always struggle with how to do plot when it comes to a short story collection because Obviously, the stories are are all different. The interesting thing about this book, though, that I think made me a, a little bit more able to say, um, like the plot was really good and and fresh and it had my attention, was that 
you're with the same characters for the entirety of the book, although it's alternating. This book did have that literary fiction feel. I guess I'll put this as a disclaimer for folks who don't like literary fiction because of this, where nothing is like really happening, but everything is also happening. And so if you're not, if you're a very, if you're a person that is like, I need a plot heavy thing, maybe this book isn't for you. But if you're a person that loves these like captured moments of people, like almost like a camera that's just clicking really, 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 really fast. And you're seeing like these like shots of like this one moment or this one few hours in a person's life, then the plot is excellent. Um, but if you're somebody who's like, it needs to be horror, it needs to be magical realism, it needs to be a mystery, it needs to be, you know, something needs to be happening, needs to be action. That's not the kind of book this is. Uh, but I think that's part of what's so beautiful about it and what it's showing about life on a reservation and, and trying to freaking like survive on in this world. Um, is it's great it's great um and that kind of leads me into wanting to talk about what i kind of think is going on here i don't know if this is true but i started to think it towards the end of the book first of all every story in this is either by told from the perspective of david or d at different points in their life. Only one story, we do not know who the narrator is. And it's really hard to tell who it is. At first I was like, it must just be a completely different character. And that's why it kind of falls in the middle of the book. But this book takes place of like um, a, a boy, a man with his mother in the hospital. Both characters, their mother is like pretty much integral to their character so it could go either way it could be neither but once I realized that and then also once there was a point where D had several stories in a row I started to go wait a second is it completely impossible that D and David are the same person um because David's name is David and D's name is D like it feels a little weird to name both your characters to name one of your characters David and then name the other the letter of David I don't know and there was just like there was these little easter eggs that made me say I don't really know what's going on here i i'm trying to figure out if david is david as a kid and d is david as an adult man i don't know if that's true please if somebody read this feel free to disagree with me and also like let me know what you were thinking um but there was this one sort of turning point i had where d was visiting his grandmother in the nursing home a bunch, a few stories before that was a big story about David and his grandmother and his grandmother struggling with Alzheimer's. And then you have Dee with his grandma in the nursing home and she smokes the same kinds of cigarettes that David's grandmother smokes. And 
cut me off at literally the least opportune time. Um, but she says, like, I don't want to do any spoilers, but she says this thing that is so weird where she like mentioned, she's like, I used to have a brother and Dee's grandmother says this weird thing where she's like, I used to have a brother and it sort of gets brushed off. And that made me think back to this story with David where David's mother with grandmother with Alzheimer's keeps talking about this guy who who drowned and she keeps referring to David because she has Alzheimer's as that guy as, as that man's name and so I'm like connecting these dots and I'm like what the fuck is happening like I literally thought I was losing my grip on reality for a second there um but I don't know and I think it would be really really clever if that was the case um but obviously it could not be the case because even if for example like both um both characters are referred to as was at different points and that's like a that's a penobscot term of endearment for a son for a boy so it's very very possible that like that's just something people say all the time and so that's why it was used for both characters by the mother at different times but I don't know I really don't know and I think I like that I don't know and I would love to I don't know I'd love to pick Morgan Talty's brain about that I'm curious and I think that that's the reason I was like I'm trying to decide whether I want to emit form or not because how interesting would it be and how would it alter the way we talk about form if all these stories were from the perspective of the same person and they're being referred to with different names and their voice changes slightly um and then we of course we have that one story in the middle with this nameless narrator who it really could be either one of those boys. I think it's really interesting. I think it's really cool. And that leads me to, to my you know, last thought, which is about characterization, which I gave an eight. I, I thought the characterization in this book was beautiful. Um, it's, it's something that could only be achieved by somebody who has lived these experiences and and lived on a Native American reservation. Um, and both Dee and David were so distinct, but the people who are with them in their stories are so vivid from this character Frick, who's like a medicine man and dating the mom and, and David's relationship with his sister Paige and, um, one crazy character is um he's a hilarious character at the beginning of this collection ferris who's d's best friend but becomes this really sort of sad like you're heart wrenching for him later on um the both grandmothers whether they're the same grandmother or not extremely like extremely well developed which like I said, you know it's a writer writing what they know, and you know it's a writer writing from lived experiences, but there's also something so special about it that it's like, first of all, coming from an indigenous perspective and an indigenous voice, and it's painting all these different 
beautifully written Indigenous people. Um, but I also just want to speak to Morgan Talty's talent as a writer, regardless of that, that it's really freaking hard to do characterization in a short story. How do you do it? How do you have time to develop a character in only so many pages? And yes, we see these same characters again and again throughout the collection, but right away, they're incredibly, incredibly distinct, well-developed characters. And I think that's just like really rare to see. I'm going to remember all these characters for a really, 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 really long time. I can't think of another short story collection, except for maybe like a few of my favorite short stories here and there, where I remember anything about the characters, um, let alone all like a distinct image of every character that was talked about. Um, so what what a freaking talent and and a new author and somebody everybody should keep their eye on and buy this book and support indigenous authors. He's young. He's a young man. He's doing really cool shit. Support a Penobscot writer and happy Native American Heritage Month, y'all. I love it. I love it. We love it. Love it. Yeah, I like that. That one sounds real fun. That one sounds real writerly. It's very writerly. It's very I love that. I would definitely use this as like a teaching aid, I think. Yeah, when are we getting our class to teach? Come on. Come on. Do you remember the short story? You have to read this, The Red Convertible by Louise Erdrich. Mm. I don't think so. What, what class did you read it in? I read it in critical thinking and writing. <laughs> you remember, was it, was it your first semester? Yes. I think we had different teachers because I had Emily Beal, I think. Yeah, I can't remember her name, but like or something. She was old. I don't, I hate that lady. You know her. I had her second semester. She sucked like as a teacher, but loved the red convertible. Um, and this book, the short stories in this book kind of reminded me of the red convertible, that style. So that's another mm -hmm. thing. If you're like, if you really like that story, um, try this out. Another if you're out there. Devastating, devastating book. Wait, were you, were you spitting on? Yeah. Love it. She could be dead for all we know. <laughs> I mean, she's fucking old. Like not to be a bitch, but that was like five years ago. So I thought she was so mean. She was really mean. And um, remember how she was like, you all have to like have a five minute talk with me after class. I need to know all of you. Yeah. Well, during my five minute talk, she literally told me that she doesn't think that anyone should get their bachelor's in writing. And she thought that was ridiculous. Okay. And you I was like, dumb. that's when I, I literally went back to my dorm and called my dad crying. I was like... <sighs> My teacher told me that I shouldn't be majoring in this and I don't know what I'm doing. Dude, she was such a bitch. I don't even feel bad talking about her because that pissed me off that you're telling me that and picturing you crying to your dad as a little baby freshman, Marissa. And also, she was one of the first people I ever saw 
who went off on a rant that they, them is incorrect. You can't refer to people with they, them pronouns. It's not grammatically correct. She goes, I'll never do it. I'll never refer to somebody with they, them pronouns. And we were all sitting there like, huh? And I remember also her one time having this really shitty perspective on the story that literally the one black person, one in the class, wrote and it was about the black experience and it was a very very cool poem and it was like using bits and pieces of like black culture and black history and she was like you need to put footnotes in this because not everybody's going to understand all these references and I literally remember being like I think I said I was like I don't think you should put footnotes in like I think whoever is going to understand this poem is going to understand it and if a white person is reading the poem like I didn't phrase it exactly like this because I like didn't have the you know, know how to, how to articulate this when I was fucking 18 years old, but I was like, and the people, the like white people who are reading it, they can do the work of looking it up themselves. You don't need to add footnotes, but the poem was by and that's the only time I ever would have gone to bat for fair enough. Only time ever. But yeah, I, I, I hope she's not a teacher anymore. Fuck that. I, yeah, no, especially think of how much Think of how many things you've read by white people that yeah. you actually have to do work to understand so many things. Yeah. So why can't it? Why? Why? Why do black people have to explain themselves to you for free? Like, That's you do silly. the freaking work, bitch. That's goofy of her to say that. We should probably bleep her name, too. But anybody who's listening to this probably knows who we're talking about. I don't. Well, I can't remember what her last name was. It's like driving me crazy. But you know what? That's because I didn't like her. Yeah. No, she was pushed. Other than reading the red convertible and like making me really freaking angry, forget everything else this woman ever said. And if you're a Pratt and you're like, I have a teacher that sounds an awful lot like this, um, message us and tell us, and we'll just tell you to like, don't even listen to anything she's saying. <laughs> yeah, she's old and she's bird looking. And she was really mean to my other friend, too, who was not a writing major and took a poetry class and was, like, so excited to be taking a poetry class. And then apparently, like, this bitch would always go on, like, rants about how, like, the writing, the not the art kids didn't know how to write nothing. And, like, they couldn't write good essays and shit. And they couldn't write. And I was like, damn, I'm sorry you got short end of the stick there. You could have ended up with, like, Anselm Berrigan, who's king. Mm-hmm. But you ended up with this awful woman who I didn't even know wrote poetry let alone why is she allowed to teach it okay i'm definitely cutting this part out but also she definitely picked favorites and think about who her favorites were the weirdest friggin' people yeah <laughs> yeah i think um i think was one of her favorites yeah what the fuck was her favorite in my class Anyways, anyway, um, went on a little rant. Native American Heritage Month. Support Indigenous authors all year. So those were the books that we read. Those were our thoughts on them. Seems like, once again, another good episode for Indigenous authors. Definitely. And they can't miss. They can't miss the heck um marissa yep what's next week next week we are taking it a little easy 
and examining our huge pile of TBR books and picking something from there. I still have not a great idea about what I'm going to read. My gut is to go with either A History of Wild Places by Shane Earnshaw, Shay Earnshaw, who's one of my favorite authors. And I got this book a year ago and still haven't read it. I don't know what happened. And then my other option is this other book that I have that I've had for a while which is um, called The Great Glorious Goddamn of, of It All by Josh Ritter. I love that title. And that one's shorter. So I think it's going to come down to like what kind of mood I'm in this week. Mm-hmm. Short book or longer book. And you're kind of in the same boat, right? I like that one with, with the, the longer title. The Great Glorious Goddamn of It All. That's such a good title. Such a good title. <laughs> Um, I looked at my TBR two days ago, and I, w- I picked out a collection of short stories. I have so many books of short stories on my shelf, but, like, I have to be in a really specific mood to read books of short stories. Otherwise, I just won't finish them, mm-hmm. no matter how good they are. Um, and, like, I got, like, Karen Russell on there. I have some good-ass books on there. I just can't read them. But so I picked out this one that was a collection of short stories, pretty, pretty short. Um, It's called Friday Black. But then I was looking in one of my purses and I found this book that I brought to Nick's house as like a spare book in case I forgot a book like to bring with me and I needed something to read, which literally never happens because I always have two books in my purse at all times. But um. So then I, I saw where the crawdads sing, which I literally bought this summer to read. Um, and I was going to read it for our fall episode. And then I changed my mind. And so I started reading it yesterday. And I'm already, I'm probably going to finish it tonight or tomorrow. So I think I'm going to read that for that episode. But maybe I'll squeeze in another book in between and then wind up talking about the other one. Um, but for now, it's going to be Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. Interested and excited to hear about that one. I also have Friday Black on my shelf, and I keep wanting to read it, but I haven't yet. So whichever one you read, I'm looking forward to it. Maybe we should do that together if we both maybe, have it. Maybe we should. We invite uh, Bleep Robert Bleep onto the show. <laughs> Bleep, rubber, bleep. Uh, F that guy. Um, the the back, I've never read the back before. It says racism, but managed through virtual reality. Black Friday, except you die in a bargain craze throng. Happiness, only pharmacolog- pharmacological love despite everything. It's kind of nice interesting interesting like that so maybe we should maybe we should save this one and read this together because this might be fun yeah let's do that that's all they wrote that's it we love y'all and we'll see you next week see you next week peace out bye
love drama. You know it.